This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Public.com and Ledin.io. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem. You are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week together, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to really, really understand how this movement came to be, where we're going, some of the coolest things that happen, stories that we overlook, people that we need to meet. That's what Untold Stories is, and we have some fun along the way. And I'm very excited to have on the show. Misha, thank you so much. Misha Goroshevsky, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much. It's Misha, but Charlie, it's, it's okay because it's unpronounceable, I know. <laughs> Misha. Yeah. That's okay. fine. <laughs> Co-founder and, and CTO of Tan Labs. You're focusing on the uh, the core technical infrastructure for, for free Tan. And what's been really great is that over the last, I don't know, few months, you guys have have like 99% uh, uh, replaced 99% of the of the old, uh, you know, Tan blockchain that was coming out of the ashes of, of Telegram. And uh, it's a whole new community. It's a whole new project. It's a whole new everything. Uh, and you guys have been growing by leaps and bounds with the Ton Crystal. And so I'm excited to talk about uh, some of the things that, that have been happening over the last few months and few years. But really, tell me about yourself. How did you get into crypto and, and, and how did you get to be in, in where you are today? Yeah, uh, well, it's a, it's a long story. To make it short, uh, uh, I did some decentralized database designs based on distributed tables, like stuff like that. Um, and so, of course, because of that, we kind of looked all the time at what's happening in like well, space around. And uh, in very early, I think, uh, 2010, I think, you know, we got aware of, of the Bitcoin white paper and the, the network, started to look into that. Um, and then I was just fascinated. <laughs> so, like, uh, yeah, it was early. And then, and then but, but, you know, Bitcoin was great as an idea. Um, but you couldn't do much about that, right? With that, as a, as a, as a, like engineer, you couldn't really build a lot. Um, and uh, later, when it, when Ethereum obviously came in, then it started to be interesting in terms of like developing stuff on top of that. And that's where where I really got got like involved, uh, you know, more more heavily day by day and build some stuff on Ethereum. And then. Uh, met with some of other co-founders of Eton Labs, and they said, listen, there is a nice little project Telegram is doing. Don't you want to kind of be involved? And, and they said, well, let me read something because <laughs> nothing was published. And they got me the white paper, the technical one. And uh, I said, well, that's really interesting because the design at that time was really cutting edge. It was like following Polkadot in a way, but making it tightly coupled and you know by that changing everything so it was really first sharding in a two-word sense of, of, of word technically it was like really really great idea and uh, and i said well like like i want to participate I want to do something that's how it all started and what were the first things that you did in the space well we started to develop um virtual machine our own implementation we said from the beginning there there need to be second implementation of the node first so we started in rust telegram team did in c we just started to implement the node the network protocol the network protocols uh, virtual machines stuff like that and then on top of that we started to build some develop developer tools and uh, like compilers 
because we knew that once the developer want to develop, you know, they won't, mm, you know, do that on assembler language. <laughs> I actually wanted to ask you about about C plus plus and Rust. It seems like Rust is one of the de facto languages that is being used now across a lot of different blockchains. I know that Ethereum had tried to to write its own language, Solidity. And over the past few months, I've learned that Rust is 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 definitely uh, up there as the top. Is that something younger entrepreneurs you think should be learning if they want to be able to work in our blockchain space? Well, there is a two, you know, you like there are two questions in one because what Ethereum, the Solidity is a language for a smart contract, and uh, smart is a system level language where you 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 write the system level software, not necessarily like it wasn't built for smart contracts. So there is two questions. One, one is why do we use Rust in building system level, like nodes, writing protocols and stuff? And another, should we use Rust as a, as a, as a language for a smart contract? And it's two very different different questions. But yeah, Rust is a great language. has a lot of, uh, like, um, it's very C-like language, but uh, without, like, it's a modern language. So it doesn't have this... Uh, this pitfalls uh, of of the of, of some other system level languages, and there is a lot of security features in Rust which you want to use when you when particularly when you're building like infrastructure projects like blockchain. You know, you you understand scaling. Your background, you you were involved in one of the first voice over IPs, international voice over IP companies. You understand what it takes to have you know on building new technology on top of old technology. Because I'm sure when you were working on voice over IP, you were probably banging your head against the wall because the internet as we built it was not really built to handle what we're doing today. We're building the whole new web 3.0. How are, how are we looking at scaling, you know, kind of going into that should rust, you know, what should we be using for smart con contract language, but how are we looking at scaling all wrong? And I ask this because you have a lot of new layer ones launching a lot of them every single day. And I'm trying to understand why they're looking at scaling wrong and why you understand scaling in a better way. Well, I don't want to like, you know, comparing us with some others because there are great projects out there, which yeah, I like course. personally a lot. Like Solana, I really love the design. But but the thing is that the the problem is, do you can you really scale like almost limitlessly? Like, can you really, that is a very important point. Because if you have a limit, then there is a certain certain price that someone can pay to buy out your network. In terms of like, if you're making gas really cheap, for example, then I can take some money, uh, buy some a lot of your coins, and pay your network to just shut it up. If you have that limit in the end, right? Then you have the limit of the total price that someone can pay for the, you know, to stop your network. If you don't have that limit, then this attack is not possible anymore. So even from that perspective, it is quite important that you have really, but for me, scalability means that you can scale as much as you want, basically to the scale of the internet. Like think of Amazon Cloud. Like Amazon, you you don't, when you order a new server on in Amazon Cloud, you don't think that they will run out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you don't think they will stop, right? So that architecture- No more scares. servers today. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Sorry, like we can't accommodate you anymore. Uh, we, we stop here. So <laughs> you, you don't see that, right? 
why don't you want to do the same thing with the block? Like you need to do the same thing with the blockchain, particularly with the blockchain, because you have the self-sustainable decentralized infrastructure. There is no manager who would tell to order new servers or anything like that. It's all economy, right? If you live in this economical paradigm of new economy, you you need to, to scale it limitlessly from within the protocol itself. And I believe there is only one design who can do that and currently, and that is Freeton. Is this, is this kind of going into the blockchain trilemma problem, which is when it comes to decentralized, scalable, and secure? But this is crazy, you know... This problem, I remember, I remember hearing about it for the first time, but not really understanding why it's a problem. There's a there's a guy his name is Luke Desh- Luke Desheer, Luke Jr., and Luke just got kicked off crypto Twitter, by the way. And I hope that Jack brings him back. <laughs> well, you know, everyone's allowed to have their own opinions, but he's been around Bitcoin since before me even, and he's been like steadfast. But Luke, point I remember when Eric Voorhees launched Satoshi Dice back in the early days, and Satoshi Dice on top of Bitcoin. Luke didn't like it and was very like against it on the Bitcoin forums because the way he saw it was this is spamming the network. But Eric was saying, hey, this is a free market. Anyone can pay transaction fees. If I'm paying a little bit more to have my mine, my Satoshi Dice transactions go ahead of everything else, that's a product. That's a feature, not a bug. But as mm-hmm. we scale, I can see now how blockchains can be taken over that way, especially ones that are like built on super, super cheap speeds and highly, highly fast scale. How do you solve this problem? I mean, how do you... Is by by scaling, by scaling, scaling more or less linearly with the, with the, with the, whenever you have the new transaction that someone wants to put and ready to pay even the small amount of gas, it needs to be enough incentives for new validators to join and provide his, you know, power to the network. By, and, by, and the most important, which is not happening right now, is that even if you provide many a lot of power to the networks that exist today, you it won't scale with this power. It will just divide all the time, the money between you. Yeah. So the money will be less and the, and the, you know, and there's, so it doesn't scale. You can add as many miners as you want to Bitcoin, it won't scale. And so, so you need to a design that will scale with the new server joining the network. How, how do you handle distribution on, in a situation like this? If someone, need, if someone wants to make more transactions, he's ready to pay for them. So, right? so, so these transactions need to be kind of, need to pay for, for the new uh, power joining the network. The problem is not that. The problem is not how do you pay. The real problem is that it doesn't scale. Again, the real problem which we have in all of the designs of the, all of the blockchains we have today is it doesn't matter how many servers you will add, it won't scale past certain point. So the question is really, how do you make it scalable uh, without any limit, basically? And I guess the answer is that you figure out the transaction fee size, the transaction fee amount, distribution, how you scale, the method in which the blockchain scales, all kind of ha- has to happen at the same time. The You exactly. know, you can't have one side of the boat being risen it's like you're bringing a, the boat out of the water. It, can't, it needs to all rise together. Is that something that you would say is kind of the constitution of a blockchain where it's like baked in the same way that 21 million is baked into the Bitcoin code? How things are done is this? Or, or are, you know, you'll have the other side where, where you'll have developers come and say that blockchains need to be constantly in real time, changeable and upgradable. 
it, it should be constantly changeable and upgradable, and you need to provide a way for that to to kind of transform into what what developers want from one perspective. But the most important that there is a, should be an underlying protocol or protocols that allow for this scalability first of all, and then of course once it scales, then anyone can build can take any segment of this network, build whatever they want on that, right? As long as they pay us, what's the problem? Then there is no problem. Yeah. Yeah, and and what has what has happened now is there's like an ecosystem of of different products and services and companies within within Ton that uh you know you have like the basics like the swap tools and the decentralized exchanges, but in in unlocking that power of of decentralized finance, what other tools are we building for for one year from now? What type of what do people want? Are we looking at you know issuing debt as NFTs? What type of products and services are we are we building for the future? Uh, well, I look at this. Well, I'm sorry because I'm I'm like an in, from the infrastructure side, the core developer. So I look at that in the, in, in, from slightly different perspective. Sure. What happens if you build some instrument and then and then it's stuck because the transaction on on Uniswap? I think um, one of my 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 colleagues said to me that he traded just few days ago traded on uniswap and paid five hundred dollars for a trade like yeah. i mean this is not sustainable guys i mean even well right now when you have 300 percent like you know revenue coming to you uh yield then it's no problem for you to pay five hundred dollars but but wait a second that's not gonna happen forever we know that it's law economics it's, it's, it's a science they, they have some laws so it, it you cannot continue doing this like 300 percent apy whatever um so you won't be able to pay 500 percent or 500 per transaction so then okay so you're coming to dex like dex on on freeton for example and you pay almost zero for transaction right but then we have a lot of trades and, and we have a lot of trades and and now okay so now you scale but the thing is it's not stopping here Okay, you provided basic layer for scalability, but the problem is it's it's it's, it's not really in order for a, a write something on the platform like that. You need to write it a little bit differently. It's not you cannot take the, for example, ERC twenty smart contract from Ethereum, yeah. and just put it on Freeton and say, okay, now it scales infinitely. No, it won't like that because the the ERC twenty itself, like the smart contracts, how you write them today on almost any blockchain, they are um they their design sucks sorry they it's just not correct the the because same problems yeah. that ethereum is having yeah. today is the same problem that bitcoin had 4 or 5 years ago but if you had these developers had all this time to figure out better solutions and the vitalics of the world and all the people why still is it a running joke that there's no like you know, next level of Ethereum where scaling has been figured out. You know, it's a slow progression. Yeah. But I guess what I'm leading towards is when you have already a group of people who are making a lot of money in the current system, what's the incentive to move over to the new system? And so furthermore, when you're designing a blockchain from scratch or you're not from scratch, but when you're when you're at the early, the first like two years of a blockchain's existence, you have to look at it from like a technology perspective, like yourself. You also have to look at it from a game theory, socioeconomic perspective, because they go hand in hand. And this is brand new. This never existed. You know, 
Did you take economics classes? Like, you know, developers probably, well, you don't have to answer that because maybe you did, but the point is like, I did. there was no, <laughs> but there was no, however, now it's like, you got to sit in these meetings and almost like, well, okay, if we do this, if we make this number, how will people react to that, that are involved in the community? It's like, it's very exhausting. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it's completely new world. Like this is new economy. We're inventing new economy. It happened, what, 100 plus years ago the last time. It's hard to do. And particularly like condensed way like this uh, with the boundaries that are well defined and yeah. regulators well out of them, which is great, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it takes time. It just takes time. This thing takes time. It doesn't matter how many smart people you put in whatever. Um, it takes time to figure out how to do that and uh, and in tr when you said to move to the new layer one why it would happen it's a classical innovators dilemma this is nothing new right because okay first of all you move there because some applications just won't run there and you move there to to, to start new applications like we have use cases for like you know where where you cannot simply cannot do that like you cannot do order book exchange, decentralized exchange on on ethereum it, it, people tried failed miserably because you cannot do that there so for some use to start using that for some use cases and then then you realize people will realize and okay so let's move more there because it's cheaper and better and then run faster and, and the response time is faster and so on and so forth it's just better experience and then in the end what will happen is that they will say but why we actually need this other layer one which is old and you know and not moving really <laughs> that's always that's happening and then you have you end up having like multiple forks of different things because there's gonna be, at, there's gonna be a group of people there I know already are that want Ethereum to continue proof of work, so I understand this whole thing of this the system about moving over, but at the same time doesn't that open up the ability to have the future? There's gonna be a war with Ethereum, like there's gonna be a name war. There's going to be, there's going to be, which one is called Ethereum? There's going to be, there's going to be a lot of money and PR money spent, public relations to, to, to call it like, it's going to make the Bitcoin civil war or whatever, you know, debate of, of back in 2017 seem like nothing. I mean, that war took place over chat rooms that the Bitcoin, you know, what's Bitcoin upgrading to two megabytes back in 2017 was probably the the biggest chasm it created bitcoin cash because that group wanted to upgrade but what was funny was <laughs> i made you a few few on that <laughs> what was funny about this situation is that it took place in chat rooms and slack and telegram and all these different places and when they had an attempt to get everyone in a room to try to like hash it out it, but you get a bunch of like you know socially awkward people like myself in a room to, to have political and, and diplomatic debates, it doesn't work. We might as well just get back on our computers in the same room and talk about it on the keyboards. But, but at the same time, it taught a lot of lessons that together is better than separate. So I hope that is, is figured out. Guys, we need to talk about how to use your Bitcoin and your USDC to earn you interest and make you more money. To do that, we're gonna talk about our newest sponsor, Ledin.io, a much better home for your Bitcoin. They're amazing. They're a secure, simple, and easy-to-use platform for managing and growing your digital wealth. On Ledin, you can earn interest on your Bitcoin and on your USDC with some of the industry's best 
rates. Earn 6.1% APY on your first two Bitcoin and 9% on all of your USDC. That's right. All you need to do is deposit your coins and you'll receive steady payouts at the end of each month just for leaving your coins with them. 6.1% on Bitcoin is pretty huge. You don't find that same kind of return elsewhere without taking a much greater risk. And 9% on your USDC? Think about what kind of rate you'll get if you had dollars sitting in your bank's savings account. Probably almost nothing. If you've got dollar savings sitting around, this seems like a no-brainer. All you need to do to sign up with Ledin is send a bit of Bitcoin or USDC their way and then sit back and let the interest accrue. So what are you waiting for? Go to untoldstories.link forward slash Ledin to start earning interest on your Bitcoin or USDC today. That's untoldstories.link forward slash Ledin. You're going to love them. Enjoy. We're all used to investing in different types of cryptos, and we know that you can buy as little as $1 worth of any coin or token, but you can't do the same thing with stocks, bonds, and ETFs and all those other like traditional assets. And then if you can, you can't do it all in the same place. Our newest sponsor, public.com, is a super awesome community where they take your, priv your privacy seriously, and you can get in there and trade slices of crypto, Bitcoin, all different coins and tokens, and also stocks, bonds, ETFs, equities, and it's all done in the same place. What I love about it is that you have all these different investors you can connect with, with all walks of life, life gain confidence, ask questions, get the big picture with curated themes, talk to everyone, but they don't get involved in the order flow. They're not selling your data to all these other middlemen. And we got a very good special for you, my listeners, today. If you go to public.com forward slash untold stories and you start investing with $1, they're going to give you up to $50 in a free stock, a slice of a stock. That's all you got to do. Download the app, $1, you get 50 bucks worth. Public.com forward slash untold stories valid for us residents 18 plus only subject to account approval and make sure you check out public.com forward slash disclosures there's no investment advice here these guys have been doing and amalgamating all of these different types of community stock bonds etfs cryptos all together make sure you check it all out public.com forward slash untold stories what is this metaverse thing we've been building this metaverse for 10 years we're building the rails of it, the underbelly. But now the world is waking up to the, to the you know, Facebook is rebranding as Meta, which is going to be seen as this huge watershed moment in the future. But what the hell is, I mean, what is this? How do you explain it to people who have no idea what it is? That's, I really don't want to know. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I mean, I know what Web, well, we call it Web3 because Web3 is kind of, um, well, it has some problems with centralization layer on the web. Like we call it Web3. So we go without web. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. You have a good is. point. You have a good point. Anything built on the current, you know, to not use general vague terms, but anything built on the current internet as we know it today can't be web three. So how do you build exactly. the metaverse? You know, this this world where nothing is fast forward, rewound, paused. You know, you wake up in the world and it's the next day or whatever, and you can own land on there. How can you build it on? you know, what we're doing today, because, for example, you can't even have your applications on your phone interact with each other in a decent, not even in a centralized way. For example, if you want to have your Uber app, work, talk to your alarm app, talk to this and be able transactions and then the taxes are, are paid on chain to the city. We're not even there yet. 
So how can well, we, we are get... actually we are oh. it's called compound. We are in the blockchain space. We are our smart contracts talking to each other. You can make multiple transactions within the chain of a contract and gets like in the, in the middle of that get some loans and repay and and you know and you whatnot buy some assets. Yeah, exactly. We know we already doing that. I, I think I think uh, what it's called now Meta is just trying to jump on again on on this on this marketing blah blah which Mark did you know successfully for all these years. I hope he is not getting into any closer to the centralized world because yeah. he cannot. Right, he cannot because like he is completely centralized. It's all around the mark, right? <laughs> yeah. So what what he's what he he's learning and what we're all. <laughs> I know, I know. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, well, Amazon is going to run out of, out of servers for Meta, so you can't, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't log on. Or like... Exactly. <laughs> okay, so like, we're we're thirty years from now, and and there's uh, dozens of blockchains, and you have, you know, you know, you have one that's a billion verified users are using this every single day. What does that scaled blockchain look like? What is that scaled layer one? Is it multiple layers is it threaded is it processor kind of set up in a processor way is it unspent inputs and outputs just like block bitcoin is is it sharding like what does that blockchain look like 30 years from now with a billion verified users there is no other way to do it rather than uh, sharding like you cannot do it otherwise period just let's stop just here no utxo it's fine utxo is just a way to basically count money <laughs> But uh, but uh, no, it's of course it's it's a smart contract base because you want to write applications on top of it, right? You have to write applications, um, and and so so it's a smart contract platform, whatever smart contract will mean by that that time, and and it's it's a, it's a like multi-threaded, multi-sharded environment like we're building. I cannot see past that point because we like there is a computer science behind us, right? There is a, I always. Uh, Think of a, of a blockchain layer one as, as of a processor. Think of it as a processor. We had a single threaded processor, like single core processors, and then we moved from that because the single core is like just, just physically cannot process more than a certain amount. And then we started to have multi-core, multi-threaded processors, and that's what we're using today. There is no other way. We don't know. In computer science, we currently don't know the other way. Maybe like optical computer something, like, but we didn't discover that. So, so there is only one way to really scale if you really want to pass that one thread, right? And that's multi-core thing. And multi-core in blockchain means sharded, multi, multi-sharded, multi-threaded environment. So I, I, I just don't know the other way to scale. Can you explain sharding uh, to me in a little bit more detail? Because as, as I understand it, it's, it's taking like horizontal headers or, or pieces of a block and and that is what's being broadcast instead of the whole block itself, to use simple terms. Well, um, that that would be really simple, <laughs> but uh, but not correct. <laughs> Meaning, uh-huh. yes, it is correct. Partly, uh, you need also to prove somehow to all the rest of the network that the header that you transmit doesn't that the block that which header you transmitted uh, uh, did not contain any wrong. It's, it wasn't wrong. Oh. Okay. You need to prove that it's correct block somehow. And that's really all the debate about how to build sharding is about. And how to prove to everyone that the you, I cannot send the whole block because, and I cannot, and other validator, whatever, call it master chain, beacon chain, doesn't matter. Um, they cannot run all the blocks and verify because otherwise then you don't have more sharding, right? 
Um, so, so you need to somehow make it so that, that anyone in the network will believe that the header of the block you sent is representing the block, which is correct. And all the designs that you now you know, know whatever near uh, yeah. Ethereum to a zero, whatever, they all, they all talk about the same thing, basically. It's just how, how you approach that. Is that what but, it okay, comes so down in to? Database, it's uh, it's a, on a consensus level, yes, more or less. Uh, if if you talk about what is sharding, sharding in data sharding is a database term, and it means that you you basically split the data. So you so not a single node doesn't need to have all the data. That's what sharding means. Um, and but there is another thing we need. It's not only sharding. We also need to to parallelize computation, and that's also it's even more important sometimes. Actually. Like Ethereum to zero right now is building sharding in a way of sharding the data because they have a really huge state they want to shard it. Mm, but that is not enough because uh, in order to make performance-wise, like if you think again about compute Intel processor inside your machine right now, it, it actually paralyzes computation. It take program, it execute them in parallel on two cores and the two threads, whatever, and, and it executed in parallel. So, so that allows like what we call I don't know multi-window stuff that you run the multi-application and multi, you know whatever right. Um, you need to do the same thing, and that's we call it multi-threading because that is really like what it's called in computer science, multi-threading. So you need to parallelize. You need to split the data and then parallelize computations. And there is simply no other way. But when you again when you parallelize computation again, you need to prove that the computation someone did in a group of validators that did this computation without validating the computation itself by all other nodes you need to prove to every other node that the computation was executed correctly and that's really what it is in essence wow i mean this is you're building out uh uh, uh multi-threaded multi-layered uh the ability to have constant communications and and, and different smart contracts talking to each other in real time but then the data itself is, is or the reference to the data is what's being shared more in real time. So how that's encrypted and how that's how that is um, how that's shared is what is most important. It seems like you touched upon a very very good point. There is, of course, it doesn't stop there. Yeah, you need a messaging. You need to to communicate between all these pieces that are running on a separate piece of data with a separate a computational engine on top of that. And you need them to talk to each other somehow. So it first of all, it implies that it's asynchronous. Like unlike Ethereum, whereas all the programming is synchronous. Like you try to execute basically everything at once and get the result of this execution. Doesn't, mem doesn't matter how many smart contracts you need to involve in that. You cannot do that with sharding. In Ethereum, when, when they introduce sharding, they also will need to move away from this synchronous model. You cannot, you won't be able to do that anymore. You, you need to have you need to go asynchronous. So one like node executing something one on one data is talking to another node who's executed something else on another data, and they all understand that like the, the message that they get need to be correct from other node perspective. This is a huge this is this all these are like a, it's problem. So yeah. for example, Polkadot, up until now, I don't think they have maybe they did, but uh, last time I looked, they didn't have even the messaging between this um between this uh parachains running because I, I don't think they thought that they will ever need that because like okay so you give someone a blockchain the let them run me. an application yeah let, let them run the application on this parachain network 
or just one blockchain. And then, okay, so what do we do when we need to pass this message to another uh, application of another person to make a compound, whatever we want to build? How do we do that? Because that also needs to scale. Like, remember, if you have, like, when you, if you imagine, like, how processor chip inside looks, like, there is the high-speed buses between all these cores, because these cores need to pass the messages, right? And it's, you know, so also a thread manager there somewhere, which also manages this whole thing, because messages, you cannot just pass messages in random fashion. There are some, some protocols that you need to follow. It comes down to right? a hardware problem, then. No, no, no. We we are talking about virtual processors here, so it's not a hardware problem. We can like it's it's all virtualized on top of like normal hardware. So no, thanks God, we yeah. don't. Have to With the supply chain problem, <laughs> that's yeah, so, no, 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 no. We don't want to go there. <laughs> what's intriguing about 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 this uh, about the the Tom blockchain now is that uh, the token distribution is a little bit different. It's 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 done for it's done. It uh, tokens are distributed to those who who are involved in the ecosystem, who are through grants and through partnerships and things like that. And so what happens is because people have to earn it, there's like this buying and selling pressure that can't, that actually stays relatively stable. And so my question to you is, are we looking at stable coins all wrong? Are we looking at stable coins as references to like a fiat coin, is that incorrect? Or should stable coins be the representation of a perfect economy of buying and selling pressure and utility? Does that seem like where we're going to be 30 years from now, that blockchain that has a billion users is not going to be, their token may not reference something else, rather it'll be stable because the ecosystem is perfected. It won't be stable. The word stable is deceiving. That's the point. Okay. Because, like, if if you, I, I had this uh, uh, work called "Not at Binary System" about stable coins. I, I wrote it with Andrei Lashin, great uh, Russian mathematician. Now, the thing is, um, if we think about money, okay, uh, it, first of all, it's a wrong assumption that that the money, you know, combines three values: the, the what the unit of exchange, unit of account, the, the store of value, and the method of payment. Like, you cannot have three in one, period, and you don't, right? Because if you look at the U.S. dollar. It loses its value for the last hundred years all the time, yeah. right? And it's completely and they're continuing doing that. Well, how is that store of value? Yeah. So, okay, so it's a method of payment, and as such, it needs actually to devaluate. Well, think of like you don't want to buy pizza with Bitcoin, same way. What you want to buy? Oh, because what you want to use. Yeah, so what you want to, to use to buy pizza is something that depreciates. Only if it's depreciating all the time, you want to really give it away all the time. And that's how economies is, is actually like, like um, uh, subsidized, incentivized. Because people want to, they, they earn the money because it devaluates, they want to buy stuff with it as, as fast as possible. And also, by the way, take credit. Because why not? It devaluates. <laughs> Okay. Um, so, so if you talk about payment system, that's why I think, by the way, Bitcoin uh, made it all wrong with Lightning Network. That's why I think it will never work because it doesn't matter how you slice, dice, make it fast. I don't want to pay with my Bitcoin for coffee. Pardon my French. I, I really don't want to do that. But <laughs> like, I could, if I could mint, if I could mint the ability instantly mint or borrow against it in a decentralized way, then I would do that on a high level potentially 
if you could repay and take it back, yes. Yeah, yeah. If there's a decentralized way, then you could mint your own stable coins. But example. but but for that, you need to mint something which will. Yeah, be you need to mint something right. deflationary. And your point is that yes. money is inherently deflationary. I I think yeah. I've I think I agree with that. Over time, I think I agree with that. I know I agree with that. And if you look at history, it's it's true. Yeah, well, we we decoupled from gold for that particular reason because we couldn't we couldn't create enough money to sustain the economic growth without decoupling from from gold, because gold was inherently like what it did. It's like basically constrained us with with this devaluation that we needed in the economy, and so so they decoupled it with gold and they made a deflationary thing. But but now they sell us the story that you need to save also this. Well, that's bullshit. Like, this is total bullshit. <laughs> you don't want to save dollars. Uh, so what's the future? Do you right. have like two currencies? Do you have one that appreciates and one that depreciates and you can transfer yes. between the two? Yes. Exactly. Really? That's cool. Yeah. That's it. That's why we call it not a ton binary system, but basically proposal for two, two tokens, ton, which is a deflationary, which is, which is deflationary. And then yeah. in the not, which is, which is, which is inflationary. So um, one will lose the value. Cool. Another will gain the value. And that, that's it, because because something you you want to make for payments and something you want to make to store a value. Do you do, does it split? Do you get more of them as it loses value, or does it just lose value and you inherently want to spend it that way? Is that kind of how it works? You, you, you want you want you want to spend it. Yeah, you want to spend it because remember the like the the why we do we use dollars and stablecoin? It's really easy because it's it's the because there are like economists and central banks and federal reserves whenever, and they are doing all the job. Of actually counting for how much inflation do we like have or need? Well, because what, we, what we really now. want to do, well, trying very badly, <laughs> but but they are trying at least. But you you like we in the blockchain, we don't want even to try <laughs> because like like better them doing that because you need to take the real economy, like all the basically all the trade, the whole trade of the world. You need to take that, and you need to take that into the account. Of, of the of the what you want to do with this with this currency that that is that you want to lose the value you need to realize how much the economy grew for how much value you want to lose in this money yeah we cannot count that today or for a very simple reason because not all the payments and all the businesses are on the blockchain if they would and I hope they will someday then inside the blockchain, we will have a mutable data on top of which algorithms, smart contracts can count what and how much minting we need to do. And we won't wow. need any Federal Reserve or Central Banks anymore. We just fire them. Nietzsche <laughs> Goroshevsky, the CTO of Freetown, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories, this special sponsored live edition of untold stories. I love doing these. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Look at look at what we've learned and what we've what we've together taught a lot of people um on this show today. So thank you again for that. And uh and I'm excited to have you back on the show soon and we'll talk more about what's been going on. Thank you, Charlie. It's really a pleasure being here, talking to you. Hope we meet in person one day. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. <laughs>